If you've been following art in the Yukon for any time at all, you've definitely come across this gentleman's artwork. He's best known for what is called the Colorful 5%, and it is a series of works that have been going on for all of 70 years now. And I had an opportunity to speak with him today in his studio. He doesn't like speaking about himself, but he does like speaking about the people that he's captured in his artwork. And we get a bit of an insight into the people that have inspired him throughout the decades. And it's with great pleasure that I finally get to speak with Mr. Jim Robb. So get yourself a cup of tea, buckle up, and here we go. Welcome to My Amazing Yukon Life Podcast. It's time now to sit back and fill your gold poke with nuggets of knowledge as we pan through stories of desperate struggle, wild adventure, love, despair, and untold fortune, recounted by those with the tenacity, determination, and grit to survive and thrive amidst the magic and mystery of Canada's Yukon. And now, your host, affectionately known as Trapper Dan, Yukon's Renaissance man, Daniel Haley. Welcome everyone to My Amazing Yukon Life. This is episode number 30, and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with a gentleman in our community who, if you've lived in the Yukon for any time at all, you have definitely heard of him. And he is responsible for the Colorful 5%. That's his trademark. And of course, I'm talking about none other than Mr. Jim Robb. So welcome to the show, Jim. This is a pleasure to finally get together with you and tie you down long enough to actually get a couple of words out of you. Yeah, good to meet you. Yeah, thanks. So the other day we were talking about some of the art that you first started with when you got to the Yukon. It always comes back to this one big portrait. It was, I think it was done on plywood, was it not? Well, it was on a Donna Connell board. Okay. And uh, I don't think, I don't I doubt if they make it anymore, but anyway, uh, they used to use a lot of for, for building in the 50s and 60s and that. And uh, the show, the picture here is taken of me when I'm 24 years old, roughly, uh, out of Porter Creek when uh, I think there was way less than 100 people living in that whole area at that particular time. And uh, and uh, that was in the somewhere in the 50s. Um, I'm not sure exactly what day, but somewhere in the 50s. And uh, that's a picture I did of Wigwam Harry. Mm-hmm. And it was taken in the White Pass Hotel on Main Street, downtown Whitehorse. I, I, well, actually, it wasn't taken there. It was the sketch there originally and made into a bigger sketch later on. Okay. You see the 4 by 8 shot there. That's out of Porter Creek. Right. And it's probably less than 500, every month, 1,000, probably less than 500 at that particular point in the 50s. So you say it was sketched there? Do you is that the way you? I made a up? sketch, a sketch, and and or a photo or something, and uh, made it from that. I made it into eight by, or I just had a, probably a small. In those days, I didn't have much of a, in the way of a of a, a camera. I had, it, it was a, a twelve dollar camera. Imagine a twelve dollar camera, but it took good enough pictures I could make uh, uh, sketches out of it and stuff. And that's all I could probably afford in those days. I didn't know much about photography in those days, but right. I um, later on uh, got into better cameras, and I kept out and going to Hogan's and asking the camera guy there, "How do you do this and how do you do that?" So finally, I I got into some pretty good shots. Can you explain about this guy, like Wigwam Harry? Like, why was he so impressive to you? 
he was a very colorful character, and uh, that actually particular time uh, sitting in uh, in the uh, it was called the uh, uh, White Pass Bar, I think. Yeah, right. something like that. And anyway, I was sitting around and uh, a bunch of people there uh, having coffee, and uh, uh, it was the um, I think it was called the Grill Cafe at that time in the White Pass Hotel. And anyway, I took a few. Uh, when he got up and danced, uh, that that really totally changed my whole life. Because uh, at that particular point, seeing Wigwam Harry dancing in the bar, it changed my whole interest. I, I, I said to myself, nobody's doing anything on the characters up here. So that sparked my interest. So Wigwam Harry actually sparked my uh, life in many ways. Yeah. Isn't that something? So there was to be a, a jukebox or something there then. Like, what was he dancing to? Well, as I well, I should have told you. The uh, uh, somebody got up. Uh, I was sitting there having coffee, and there's other people in there too. But mm-hmm. sitting there having a coffee, and, uh, and somebody got up and uh, put a quarter in the jukebox. And so uh, this guy came out of nowhere, big cowboy hat, Harry. He hasn't got a cowboy hat right in this particular picture, but he used to wear cowboy hats quite often. Anyway, he was dressed like that, and I. I, I just thought this uh, really interesting guy, and uh, I said nobody's doing our interesting people up here, our interesting characters. So Harry dancing sparked my interest in in, in doing characters. Uh, it sort of changed my whole life because that's what I've been doing mostly: um, interesting people of the Yukon, characters of the Yukon. Did you have the colorful five percent phrase back then in those days? Well, I don't know. Uh, probably a little later. Probably uh, some somewhere probably in the fifties, sixties. I'm not sure of the date, but uh, it's a copy written to my name, and and uh, I use it all the time now because it it describes my work. So yeah, I'm I'm I I have the copyright on the colorful five percent. He was in the top five for sure. We've had lots many many characters. After Harry, I did. Uh, other other characters that were interesting, um, Charlie Fox was one, and uh, not only looked interesting, but the sort of their, their lives were interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Harry drove on the, drove a truck on the Alaska Highway for quite a long time, and uh, one day, a, a elderly couple come knocking on my door, and and they said, "You're you do you know Harry Fick?" That was Wigwam Harry. I said, "Yes." Uh, I drove behind him on the Alaska Highway. I said, "Well, come on in, come on in, and tell me the stories. They're great, great <laughs> stories about Harry when he was young." Eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's when the highway was a rough piece of real estate, wasn't it? It was no pavement on it; it was all gravel. Yeah, it was gra- gravel. But uh, anyway, it um, there was a, some people still around at that particular time in the fifties. Of course, I drove on the highway and that, but mm-hmm. I, hardly any left now. But but anyway. Um, when I lived at Porter Creek out there, well, I'm posing with that picture. Uh, probably less than hundred people in that area uh, at Porter Creek at that particular time. I think I've seen his picture, uh, Wigwam Harry, on the front of one of your books. I think it was an illustration yeah, book. Yeah, I have it on a book. Yeah. Yeah, and he was wearing the the more of a cowboy hat. Yeah, 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 like a Stetson or something. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's in my. I had a log. It was a log cabin that belonged to K. McDonald. And uh, her partner, and uh, they loaned me the cabin, and I lived there. And uh, and, and as I said, there was uh, there were probably less than a hundred people at Porter Creek at that particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that was what he looked like at the time from a twelve dollar camera. I made the sketch for using that, and 
Uh, I've got lots of good stuff on Harry, like really good black and white photographs, and I'm going to show them in a, when I do a story, more of a story on them. So where did this picture end up for years? That picture burned up in a fire, but luckily I had I had photographs of it. Okay. But the uh, yeah the uh, there was interesting people out of Puerto Rico at the time, uh, Harry and Pete Versluis and people like that. Yeah, the uh, time is gone now. There's probably a thousand a thousand people out there now in that area. So that's where Versluis Meadows got his name from then. Yeah, yeah, Versluis, Pete Versluis and right Harry. Yeah. And they were prospectors, very interesting people. So after photography then, what was your next move? Did you start to work with other mediums of art, like ways toward these people? Worked on all, all kinds of uh, di different characters. And um, I also draw uh, people's tucks if they're interesting, like Pete Versus's. Uh, I, I'm not so much Pete Versus, but... Um, uh, another uh, Andy Hooper's truck. He had an old uh, Canadian Army truck, and he was famous for truck driving and everything like that. I, I have done uh, pictures, of, drawings of his uh, truck through the years. There was some down at the uh, Motors downtown. Is it Taylor and Drury? Oh, yeah, the Motors right on Main Street, where all those trucks are parked. Yeah, I don't know where the White Horse Motors is. It's White Horse Motors. Yeah, yeah. Taylor well, they and had Drury, yeah. uh, two old trucks in from Dawson from the forties. Two. Mm -hmm. YCGC trucks, uh, Yukon Consolidated Gold trucks, and they were they had character, and uh, I, I sketched them things things along that line. Let's go back to the the truck that um, that he had there. What was its purpose anyway? It had big poles on the back of it, like it looked like it was made to move buildings or something. Or what was? Or what? Oh, you mean Andy Hooper? Oh, well, he was really interesting in himself. Himself, he was interesting, but um, I I made uh, uh, sketches of his trucks and. Uh, but I uh, also sketched his house down on Whiskey Flats, and what what was interesting about his uh, it wasn't uh, the, the the it was an old uh, cabin by where he lived in uh, you know kind of a typical uh, Whiskey Flats truck. But what was unique about uh, his his uh, cabin was he had a, st a stove, of course, on the roof. Uh, everybody burned wood, and he. Uh, the stove was slanted at a 45-degree angle, like, uh, okay. and I never forgot that. And so I, in my sketches, I always put his uh, unique uh, chimney for, at a 45-degree angle. But uh, there's lots of characters down through there that uh, I've done work on, like uh, uh, if something unique about them, like um, their house or cabins and uh, uh, anything that was, uh, stood out. Tell me about that that leaning part because I know that's kind of the resounding theme through a lot of your art now. Yeah, well, I in my style, well, if I do uh, something that's leaning, the cabin itself might be leaning or a chimney or whatever. Uh, it, it's just part of my my personality, I guess. Even up in Dawson City, sketching the buildings up there. Right. If if they're leaning, I even exaggerate the lean, make them lean more. It's, Part of the way I, I like to do things. Right. Is that the exaggerated truth? Yeah, it's called, that's what I call it, yeah. the exaggerated truth. Yeah, I yeah. think I read that about someone who talked to you before about it. That's a great, great term because everything's leaning a little bit more. Yeah. And it's such well, a nice it, contrast. Well, if chimney's uh, uh, reddish color, rusty, uh, yeah. I'll make it even more intense rust. And yeah. the building's leaning, I'll make it lean more or whatever. Yeah. And what do you start with for when you first start? Like I know you had a, f a camera to take these pictures, but did you automatically go to 
to pen and like an ink. Oh, I, I just uh, often uh, I, I used to go and sketch the cabin in front of me just with a, a pencil and a sketch pad. I'd, I'd sketch it right there. Right. And sometimes I'd uh, exaggerate it more than others. And uh, and uh, up in Dawson, a lot of the buildings are. Uh, there used to be not many money left, but there was quite a few leaning buildings. A lot of them being torn down now. But mm-hmm. I'd make them uh, exaggerated more than that. I'd make them lean more. And if the chimney ru- chimney's rusty, I'll make it even more rusty. That's uh, part of the style, I guess. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the time you went up there um, with the helicopter. You were flying to some oh, yeah. remote was, places to get uh, those buildings. I was sitting in the bar at the uh, at the uh, the big place downtown what did they call that uh, there's the westminster or the yeah. downtown no 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 in in whitehorse oh okay the, uh, the, the gold rush they just recently decorated it redecorated it or something oh the westmark yeah yeah so i was sitting in the westmark bar and uh this, this gentleman came up to me he said i'd like i like i'd like you to make me 12 watercolors and um um he didn't say what it's for, but anyway, he, I, I think I found later on, I found out more about it. But anyway, he uh, said, I also will provide you with a, a helicopter, a helicopter as often we, as we can. So uh, uh, that's to go out. And he wanted me to do, do the remote cabins on the creeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of creeks out there. I did uh, uh, like Miller Creek, El Dorado, and uh, uh, Black Hills Creek. My favorite sketch out there was uh, on Black Hills Creek. We, we flew in there, and we, well, we, from the air it looked like a, a tree growing from the roof, but we couldn't quite make it out. So we flew, we landed there, and as, as I got as I got out the, of the uh, helicopter, uh, the 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 pilot yelled at me. He says, uh, "You got two or three hours or something to make the." Uh, the sketch, so that was pretty quick. A lot of detail there, so mm-hmm. I managed to, to get it done, and I was really happy uh, at the outcome. Uh, it, there was a tree on the roof, and uh, and uh, the exaggerated uh, the building was slanted in different directions, and uh, it was just a good kind of a symbol of the of the Klondike Gold Rush in a way. Yeah, and uh, that's one of my, one of my favorite sketches. That's what I was going to ask you about. How do you f- pick a favorite compared to like I'm, I'm well, looking that around here? Had so many good things about it, uh, uh, right? And uh, I'm going to be using that in, in a cartoon story I'm working on now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you were saying that also the one just to your left there is going to be part of the cartoon as well, too. The one with the skeleton on the ground. Oh yeah, well that's a, that's a, that's a, actually that's the interior. That that to me is the interior. I'm going to make it that way anyway. The interior of the tree in the roof cabin, that's the interior of that particular building. Oh, I see. Um, I'm just making a, a sort of car- cartoon stuff. Uh, the, the old cabin in the center has a table there with all kinds of uh, uh, pots and pans and uh, alarm clock. And, and uh, it w- that cabin I saw on um, Eldorado Creek, it was just... Bushed in, it was just you could hardly make out the cabin, a small cabin. And I went in this little cabin, and uh, that's what was on the table there. So, uh, and uh, so that's actually uh, the inside of the of an Alvarado cabin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that would fit uh, the the uh, the tree in the roof picture, the interior for the interior. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, um, the uh, table in the uh, in the entire in the uh, whole, whole entire uh, interior uh, was done by myself with exaggeration, of course. Right. And the 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 tin cans, rusty big cans down below, uh, either coffee or some kind of can. I don't know. Uh, five gallon cans or something. Yeah, old field anyway, can. I, I, uh, I, that's part of the interior. But the skeleton, mm-hmm. skeleton was done by mostly by Chris Caldwell, and I little put a little detail in it. But she did uh, a really good job, and and you see like the t- uh, there's a, well, how many tin cans there is seven eight. Or, anyway, the gold on the floor. Oh, imagination! But I, I think it works pretty good. Mm-hmm. I saw that in the restaurant this summer when I was up there in Dawson. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think the saying on the bottom, I can't re- quite see it from here, but something like I finally made it or made it at last. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a funny how I, that, it's got gutter made at last. Yeah. And how I got that to put underneath there, what I thought I was going to a f- funeral uh, for a friend of mine. And uh, I'm walking to the washroom. I had my notepad with me and I jot that down. Gutter made it last. And that's how the idea came about. <laughs> yeah, that's no, perfect. So just a summary is the, the skeleton is the person who's got a whole bunch of gold. He's got the, the cat well, by, the, well, by the tail, so to speak, and now he's passed on because he didn't spend any of it. Well, the thing is, Gutter made it last. He evidently made it with millions of dollars of gold all on the floor around him. Mm-hmm. He's he's practically buried in gold, but I just thought... Uh, Hey, he got, he made it at last, but but he died. Yeah. <laughs> but he still made it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's quite something. So that would be that's just watercolor, then this picture, pen, pen and ink and watercolor. Okay, yeah. So uh, so the idea came from partly from the El Dorado cabin and stuff like that. You just put the ideas together, and, and uh, it makes a good interior for a cartoon story, right? So what about nature itself? I, I've seen a lot of your pictures that have the northern lights in the background and, and this, this stream of gray smoke weaving through the northern lights. Mm. Is that just something you see well, so well, often? You know, I've, I've done some of that. But I'm not so much of a, a scenery person or, or northern lights type of thing, but mm-hmm. uh, you have to use it in some scenes, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, the, that one there is the interior of the Black Hills cabin, but it's really mostly from the El Dorado cabin I saw. But mm-hmm. the uh, the one on the I I did of the uh, outside the uh, that was on Black Hills Creek, and I remember the helicopter guy said, yeah, "I think he said one hour or two hours to make that sketch or something." I still can remember something about that. Mm-hmm. Did you get the dozen of them finished on that that trip up there? Yeah, we mostly did, but I, I'm 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 using one or two scenes from that. But I'm sure. I'm using a lot of a lot of stuff in there, original stuff I've never used before. But uh, my style is slightly slightly cartoonish, and yeah, and so uh, and I got uh, Chris is uh, doing some of the pictures. Like she made a wonderful job on the skeleton there. You see, mm-hmm. so it all fitted together pretty good. Have there been more people over? The last few decades of wanting to work with you and combine their art with your art, their techniques with your art techniques. Um, I I don't know if I've ever asked anyone. I've done the odd thing with Chris, right? But um, uh, this story I'm working on now, it's uh, well, it's a good example right now. The uh, got her made at last print, mm-hmm. uh, or drawing, you know. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me you've 
done things on canvas. You've done you've done art on no, no, skins. No, no, I I've never used canvas. Uh, I uh, watercolor paper and uh, moose hide. Uh, I've done a lot of drawings on moose hide. Okay. And uh, uh, raw uh, rawhide moose sort of. But also now now I'm working on wood. Yeah, I've seen some just on flat pieces of like a burl, for instance. Yeah, yeah. But, I'm, I'm working on some. I got some more to do, but I'm going to really, really concentrate on on the on the watercolor paper. But I like doing the odd thing just for fun, you know. Tell me a story about the pizza box thing. That was funny. I read that from Harry Kerr about a year ago. Yeah, Harry. Uh, we were sitting in the cafe there where we had lunch today. Right. Okay. And uh, I grabbed the pizza box. He. He he had ordered pizza, so I I grabbed the and I did a drawing on on the cover of the pizza box, and uh, Harry kind of liked it, and uh, so um, we dro- drove away. He drove away. And we drove away in his pickup, and uh, so the dog was in the back, and he throws it. Well, of course, he throws the pizza box in the back, never thinking the dog was going to touch it. But the dog ate the pizza, and he ate right through the the cover of my drawing. Luckily, he missed most of the time, but that's that's what happened. Right. Now, Harry still got that box, I think, because he it's a souvenir. It was kind of unique how the dog just right ate right through the cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The box. Yeah. That was funny because I remember he was saying it, it means more to him than one of your prints that's made on a machine. <laughs> yeah, well, something different. Eh? One off, yeah, completely different. There was a time, uh, probably 15 years ago or so, that there was a display of a lot of your artwork ended up at the, um, I guess what's now the university, Yukon University, but there was people donating their artwork, basically. Yeah, they were just on loan. Yeah, Yeah, on loan. Sorry, it wasn't the university, right next door at the art center there. That was surprising how many people have your works in their house. Well, I've been up here most of my life, and and sometimes I was quite active on different things. I used to draw on moosekin, and uh, of course watercolor paper, but... uh, and now, uh, now uh, in the last year or so, I've been doing some stuff on uh, on wood, mm-hmm. and uh, I get uh, uh, driftwood from uh, up up the uh, rustic north. They cut the wood, okay, and they smooth it off, and, and then I, I I put a drawing on it. What I do is um, a, wa- a watercolor on there, and um, you wouldn't think I'd use watercolor, but I put watercolor in there, and then. I, then I uh, spray it with uh, fixative, fixative for pastel charcoal drawings. Okay. And then on top of that, um, a, a coat of um, varnish, and it seems to work out good. See, it's amazing. They sell right away. Uh, people, because they're so different, people like one, like one, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, that's a unique thing. And that's, you can't ever make another copy of that. It's one of one. That's it. Uh, yeah, well, you can always use a photograph of it, but no, it, it's a, it's the kind of thing I'm not going to do, do too much for. But it makes it makes a really good, unique souvenir, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're quite easy to do. I mean, uh, the the watercolor somehow or another it goes on quite smoothly on there, mm-hmm. and then I just um, put the fixative, which is used for charcoal pastel drawings and stuff, and pencil drawings, and the. Right. And then uh, uh, to finish it off, to make it more secure, I uh, put the varnish on, spray of varnish. So when someone approaches you and wanting a, a unique piece of work, um, do they give you a suggestion or do you have an idea of what well, you Well, sometimes they'll, they'll, want, they'll say they want this or want that or they like something I already have, but 
I'm not looking for too much work uh, because I want to concentrate on story. The latest one I saw, it's kind of an irony about the development of real estate in this town in the last few years. You did one of Yukon University, and then you did another one of all of the different condos. Yeah, well, I I think that that one was called um, From Outhouses to Condos. Mm -hmm. And when I came up here, everybody, no matter who you were, had outhouses. There was no running water here. Right. So anyway, uh, um, so everybody at one time had uh, outhouses. So um, uh, I just thought uh, that's where we've gone. We've gone from outhouses to to condos. You know, I mean, modern. We even got skyscrapers now. We, that's why I put the five story buildings in the background. Right. That's why we've, we've gone from outhouses and shacks to uh, five story condos and stuff. You know. Yeah. From outhouses to penthouses. Yeah, stuff like that. Think back about some of the colorful 5% people that you've um, met in your lifetime. What are some of the ones, other than the ones we've already talked about, who uh, they still stand out that you'd like to do some some work about, like putting their lives into an artwork? Is there anyone you've missed that you're, you're looking forward to doing here? I'm trying to get as, as many as possible. Um for some reason, the, uh, the the people of today, the characters today, don't seem to be quite as interesting. Uh, we don't have too many Wigwam Harrys around and Buzzsaw Jimmies and stuff, you know? No. Um, but um, uh, we've got a few around, very, very few. But anyway, uh, I've got lots of uh, illustrations I, I want to do for for, uh, for stories, like, uh, like the one you're looking at there now with the skeleton on the floor. Right. Just uh, surrounded by gold, uh, it tells a story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got her made at last. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know about where you find your inspiration. Like, is it a seasonal thing? Because I know a lot of artists they they get really productive in the winter and not too productive in the summer, or vice versa. Or does it come from meeting somebody? Or like, when do you find the time to actually produce all this stuff? Well, the thing is, I I don't really put that much actual time into into working drawings. I should be putting. I thought I'd put more in, but. Um, I do a lot of thinking on how I'm going to put stories together and stuff. And uh, what I'm going to do is um, uh, I'm going to uh, sort of a, do stories that, that mean something that can help out people in some way. Like I, uh, if I'm ever making money that's worthwhile, it's enough money that I can help people. I'd like to, I'd like to help uh, the mentally ill people. Right. It's getting more of a concern all the time. I see some of the, our big companies are... I start to put more money, put money into this mental system they're going to have over at the Whitehorse Hospital. That's an interesting thing that's happened. Sure they is. Couldn't put a whole wing or something of yeah. buildings for the mentally ill. Not too long ago, they didn't know where to put them. They mm-hmm. saw them be sick in town, and they put them in the hospital for a couple of weeks, and and then let them out. They, they uh, in some cases they sent them outside, but a lot of them were just. Uh, Kind of left in agony and uh, trying to carry on, but uh, uh, not much help. Now that they're doing a new section in the hospital for the mentally ill, mm-hmm. that's great. It's good news. Mm-hmm. Well, that could be uh, the next. There was art- one one case in, uh, uh, in the early days that uh, they were shipping a mentally ill patient outside, and he jumped over. Uh, he was on a steamboat. He jumped overboard and escaped, and he they never did catch him. And that was quite the story. I think he ended up somewhere in the Mayo country or something like that. But anyway, he got away, and uh, 
I don't know if they ever went back to the hospital, but it, it, things were desperate years ago. They didn't know where to put people in trouble. I've got one newspaper. I think it's quite valuable. The headlines of this newspaper. This is a Dawson News, uh, 18, 1899 or something like that. Very mm-hmm. early Dawson newspaper. The front page says, we're in desperate need for a, uh, insane asylum here. We need this on the front page of a Dawson newspaper around 1899. We're in desperate need for an insane asylum. Until lately, still in that position. Thank God they're going to build something for the people. You know. Yeah, 124 years later. Uh, yeah. So I, I think um, that was really something. Years ago, they probably if they mentally ill, they ship them out and uh, keep them for a while. And sometimes they come back. Sometimes they wouldn't. And uh, no, we were in a desperate situation, mm-hmm. and just lately they've announced. Uh, I think it's in our newspapers of newspapers of today that uh, came up last issue or so, the White House Star and News. Mm-hmm. Um, we're um, building something for for people who get sick. Um, it seems to be quite an effort to to that doing. I was really. Really good news for the Yukon, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just read part of that article too, and I think it was Northwest Tell that put in a half a million dollars. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah that was nice. Yeah, they support the community. Well, that's definitely something that uh, I guess that's your inspiration, right? You think about those things, like you said, you spend some time mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, well, if I were making, I'd like to do a, uh, a certain amount of the money I make on on some of my stories. I'm uh, uh, we'll put some some of the money towards help, helping the mentally ill. I think that's a really, really good cause, you know? It's a great cause, exactly. Yeah, it was a time when we weren't even allowed to talk about it as if it was some yeah, kind of yeah. terrible affliction that you had. But yeah, we need to talk about the white elephant in the room here. So when you do come up with those ideas, do you make a sketch of like in, in pencil first or how do you come about creating, let's just use that mental um, wing that they're putting onto the, onto the facility there for the for the hospital. How would you go about the process of actually coming up with an idea to sketch that out? Like in this story, uh, one of the ones I'm working on now, I'm going to mention uh, uh, about the people who used to be in real big trouble if they were ill years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to uh, uh, somehow or another uh, try to help. One of my stories will be uh, partially about um, mentally, Ill, uh, mentally ill people, but... Uh, well, even the one I'm working on now, I, I might do one p- part of it, eh? Mm-hmm. Uh, one section of it. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your, your studio spot. Like, where do you actually sit down and what's what's your view through the window, so to speak, when you start working on things? Does that change or is it always in the same general area that you create most of your art? Uh, how do you mean? Like, do you have a studio space in your house that you work from, like a little easel? I've got some space. Uh, I'm yeah. going to try to organize it a little better than what it is, but right. I... um. Sometimes I do some stuff outside, like sketching, and uh, this wood stuff is just a temporary thing, but I just thought I'd try it to see how, how people liked it, but it sells really quickly, And uh, but I want to do some more stuff on uh, illustrating stories. More so of people or more so of buildings? Well, both. We've got buildings and people and trucks and everything all combined, eh? Yeah. One of the last drawings I did was uh, on Andy Hooper's truck, and and I, I've got like I really like those uh, YCGC trucks, the Yukon Consulted Gold. They 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 were interesting too. They were down at Whitehorse Motors in the lot there, and I went down and sketched them. That's a few years ago. 
Yeah, they were really well built. They were yeah. industrial. Well, I see a picture just over your left shoulder there of Andy Hooper, a black and white picture. Oh yeah, let's see, Andy Hooper. He was a a, a great subject. I did a television version of him telling a story, and um, during the war there was an ace away game here, and Andy was telling me it was a gambling game. The, the Mounties let it go at that time. They let it go even though it was illegal, but they let it go and. Uh, then somebody came up, some magazine, McLean's or one of the big magazines, uh, mm -hmm. uh, did a story on Whitehorse and the gambling, and uh, so they had to shut it down. And But before they did that, Andy went down to uh, one of the gambling uh, places, and uh, he walked in, and he said, I'll just try $10. He, did, he didn't uh, spend much money. He didn't have much money, much money to spend on that, but... Uh, he didn't, Andy didn't drink, and uh, he didn't uh, gamble really regularly. Uh, but just one particular time, he went down there, and he said, "I'll try ten dollars." And what was amazing, he won the jackpot three times. He walked out with a lot of money, right? and I, I was down at his cabin, and he's telling me the story, and his hands all over the air, and telling him all excited about the big money. And <laughs> I thought that was something. I got that on a television um, uh, deal. On a television story. Yeah, he was a man who seriously worked for a living. Like he was Oh, a hard moving. worker, yeah. truck driver. Yeah. He was amazing uh, how he could uh, uh, move, move buildings and uh, small and big, actually. Well, yeah. yeah, I heard he moved to like one of those wartime buildings from the airport all the way down in front of Trails North. Oh, well, he moved to George Johnson Museum, too, in, in uh, Teslin. Is that right? And then he has... Uh, Another person who's a, a protege of his that's doing the same job now, right? Oh, it's his son. It's, yeah, his, uh, son. it's his adopted son. Mm -hmm. he, uh, Andy was a wonderful guy. Mm -hmm. uh, three kids, uh, two girls and a boy. Mm -hmm. They lost their mother and um, uh, and dad, too. And uh, uh, I think that, I don't know about the mother, but I know that the, uh, the, the dad died. And Andy's such a wonderful man. He... He raised those kids, and all mm -hmm. all those kids came out good, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just met his, his son there, George Meese. Okay, yeah, yeah. Wonderful person. Yeah, George is good at moving buildings, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I admire people like that when they know that work isn't a dirty four-letter word. They just get things done. Well, speaking of which, can you tell us a story about the folks that put together the the airplane that sits at the airport that does like spinning around like a weather vane? Who are those gentlemen that did that? Do you remember those guys? Ed Jacobs, a wonderful mechanic, had a machine shop here. He used to be mayor of Whitehorse. Okay. Um, he's probably the only one that was capable of doing something like that here. And anyway, he did that. He was a one. He was a genius at doing things with with uh, mechanical stuff. Mm -hmm. He was the mayor of Whitehorse one time too. Right. So I think it's the largest wind vane in North America. From mm. what I understand. Is that one thing that you've ever drawn pictures of? Is the airplanes in this part of the? I think I just did, did one, but um, the uh, there's so many great stories connected with, uh, like the Alaska Highway, for instance. Right. And and talking about planes, an old timer uh, that lived at Marsh Lake and Carcross, Hammond, Dave Hammond, in the forties or so, he um, was running around a dog team. He went down south, not too far away from Carcross, and uh, with a dog team, and he. Um, came across a blinding snowstorm, and he hit something. He didn't know it was a cliff or what it was he hit. So he backed up the team in the snow, about 20 feet or so, 
snowing like crazy. So he decided to just camp for the night. When he woke up in the morning, mm-hmm. him and the dogs around him, he um, what he hit was a bomber, U.S. bomber, in the middle of the night. You know type of thing. Right. And he um, he photographed it. He he put the dog team right alongside the uh, right alongside the uh, the bomber, mm-hmm. and, and like uh, and with the bomber in the background and the dogs along the side of the bomber. You know, he 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 photographed it. He was a great photographer too. What a shot! And there was evidence of what what had happened there. Right? There was three bombers that crashed in that valley. They call it Million Dollar Valley now. Is that right? Whatever happened, that picture picture of uh, Dave Hammond, I don't know, but it it really told a story. And was uh, I wish I would have asked him for a copy. Talking about photographs, uh, uh, two native photographers, George Johnson and. And um, Dave Hammond, they were they did some good stuff. So, did you get out of photography pretty quickly, or do you? Is that something you still? Did I get out of it? Yeah, no, like, I'm still doing. Yeah, it. you're still using it. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I I uh, I like people pictures in particular, mm-hmm. uh, portraits or anything that uh, tells the story of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I do all kinds of people. Anybody interesting? I'm not too much on. I'm not uh, into scenery. I. I, I like um, a portrait, people's faces in particular. Yeah, the characteristics of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've got quite a few of them, and uh, uh, that's, uh, it helps to tell our, our history, you know. Well, that's the thing, and people have recognized you for that. I was reading in an article here that they actually awarded you the Order of Canada. That's right. Yeah, and that was exactly 20 years ago. Oh, it was no kidding. Yeah, it was October. Same, you know, same I, so I got the order of Canada. You have to go down to Ottawa to get it. Right. And me not thinking what the weather was like, my big, huge winter parker, you know, mm-hmm. good for 50 below. I go down there in the park. Everybody thought, must have thought I was really crazy because everybody had little jackets or whatever because right. it was warm down there, you know, and I had this big, giant parker on. Yeah. Oh, you're not going to get caught cold anyway. Well, I mean, that's just common sense when you live up here. You dress like that. Mm. Yeah. It's not a dress rehearsal. It's it's the real thing. Yeah, there's something. I got the Order of Canada. Some interesting people that, uh, the famous uh, native writer, First Nations writer, he was down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know his name? He's got books out. Uh, Nothing off the top of my head. I can't recall right now. Yeah. yeah anyway, so uh, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jim. Uh, just one more thing. I just want to let you know that when I started this podcast three years ago, you were the reason why I started it. And um, it all started when I lived up in Dawson in the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. I was reading the Colorful 5%, all the illustrated books that you had out. There were three of them at the time. That's right. That's right. And I thought, this this is great. that Someone has gone through the trouble of preserving these people. Well, I, mean, that, I think that's one of the most interesting things about our our country is our yeah. Our interesting people, our, our colorful people. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Well, I apologize for not getting you on the show earlier, but you're number 30, so thanks for taking the time out of your life and okay. giving us a look into stuff. Thank you. Okay, take care. Thanks, everyone, for joining me today on my Amazing Yukon Life podcast. That was none other than the amazing Jim Robb. His name is spelled R-O-B-B. And incidentally, Jim just turned 90 years old here in October, so I thought it's about time I best get off my butt and sit down with a microphone with him and try to get him into talking about his artwork. Now, being a very humble artist that he is, he oftentimes doesn't enjoy talking about himself, but today I got lucky and learned a little bit about the history of what started him 
and all the colorful people in the Yukon that he aspired to put down in a record of some sort through his artwork and also through his stories. So if you like this podcast and have some other ideas of things you'd like to hear about the Yukon and some people or perhaps some places, just drop me a line at myamazingyukonlife.com website or perhaps join me on My Amazing Yukon Life Facebook group or you can leave me a note on Buzzsprout where I host these podcasts or perhaps on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and I'll pick that up and I'll go with it and I appreciate your input for that. And I'd like to leave you with a quote that summarizes today's podcast and also summarizes art in general. And I think it really speaks to Jim himself and also to art in general. And it goes like this. A true artist is not one who is inspired, but one who inspires others. So I'd like to thank Jim for that because he's inspired me to not only do this podcast, but to also write some different songs about the colorful 5% in the Yukon and to make them larger than life literally much larger than life. So without further ado, I'd like to thank you for joining me again. And until next time, you take care. Talk to you soon. Cheers.